Hello and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening for the first time, this podcast is a new project created by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. One of three hosts serves as interlocutor, engaging in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. My name is Reka Rangachari, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm the Executive Director of the New York International Arbitration Center, or NIAC, and I also serve as co-chair of the Young Professionals Committee within the section. This podcast is one way we at the ABA are celebrating our sponsors and thanking them for their support over the years, and in particular, for their support during the spring conference that ran March 18th, excuse me, (laughs) May 18th to 22nd. We're sitting down today with Kimberly Taylor, Senior Vice President and Chief Legal and Operating Officer at JAMS, overseeing operations in the US and abroad. She is a key lawyer and legal officer at JAMS, in addition to being a high-ranking member of its management team and in its overall operations. By way of background, JAMS has 28 resolution centers across North America. Welcome, Kim, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us, let's, let's start out by a little bit of an icebreaker. Where are you sitting today while we're sheltering in place? I'm sitting in a very small home office in Carlsbad, California. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us from Carlsbad. So we're going to start out by talking a little bit about JAMS um, and its sponsorship within the ABA. Why is that important to JAMS to be a supporter of the ABA section of dispute resolution? Well, JAMS has been involved in the DR section since it was formed in the early 1990s, and we've been actively involved in leadership and sponsorship of the annual conference and the various institutes produced by the section over the past 27 years. Um, Some JAMS neutral or member of our management team has been involved in leadership of the section throughout that time because we believe it's an important channel to hear from academics who study ADR processes and other ADR professionals who think deeply about policy issues and because we wanna be at the forefront of thought leadership in our field. And sponsoring the spring conference in particular has been important to JAMS because we strongly support the continuing education of neutrals, not only through our own internal JAMS Institute, but also through the excellent educational program programs that are offered through the section. Having been involved in section leadership in the past, I have seen all of the really high quality programs that are proposed each year and the care that goes into choosing the programs to ensure they're interesting, relevant at the times, substantive, and also promote diversity, which is a high priority for JAMS. And the conference provides a great opportunity to network and foster relationships with other ADR providers and neutrals. The Spring Conference in particular has been an important place to be for our JAMS Foundation because it provides a great venue to meet other nonprofits and representatives from law schools. And for more than 12 years, the JAMS Foundation has presented an annual Warren Knight Distinguished Service Award. This award is named in memory of JAMS founder and recognizes the work of extraordinary individuals and organizations in advancing collaborative forms of dispute resolution and the peaceful resolution of conflict, which is very much aligned with what the section supports. Uh, We appreciate that and like working together. This year's award went to Braver Angels, formerly known as Better Angels, which is a national grassroots citizen citizen organization that was launched after the 2016 presidential elections to reduce political polarization in the United States. The mission of the organization is to bring 
liberals and conservatives together to understand each other beyond stereotypes and to form red, blue community alliances, teach practical skills for communicating across political differences, and also making a very strong public argument for depolarization. Presenting this award is always a highlight for JAMS at the Spring Conference. And then just for me personally, I really have enjoyed the opportunity to connect with other ADR professionals around the country and as the section has grown around the world. The conference really promotes collegiality and provides an opportunity to get fresh perspectives from other people. And sometimes I only see those folks once a year at the spring conference, so it's a really nice way to kind of get back in touch and connect and see what people have been up to. I'm sorry that we couldn't be together in person this year. I heard really great things about the virtual platform and was impressed about how quickly the planning team moved to that virtual setting. I can't echo that enough. Um, and for those of you tuning in, um, the spring conference has always been heralded as one that, as Kim said, brings many stakeholders together in all walks of dispute resolution. It's a really special time and um, you know, we, we really do credit the section um, for being able to take things virtual. I, I think it, it's part of the theme, um, one of the words being innovation. And, and so they're certainly innovating. Um, and so part of what I also wanted to hear about, you know, much like you've said, um, JAMS has been a member um, since the get-go with the section. Um, and in the virtual spring meeting, I was noticing that several of the topics uh, were being spoken about from a JAMS perspective. Things like a view from the trenches, what's working and not working with mediators, the appropriate relationship between arbitration, mediation, and settlement. Huge as we talk about virtual and what does that mean um, with settlements on the rise in general, we're hearing. And effective advocacy and management and arbitration um, because that as well becomes very important in virtual uh, when we need to be effective um, not only in managing um, but into how we deal with our own advocacy and so I wanted to turn it to you to say um, any key takeaways from the spring meeting um, you know I haven't been able to tune into um, some of the sessions even those I signed up for just because um, as you might imagine things are, are busy at jams as we've been um, pivoting to our own remote work and also now planning um, kind of gradually, slowly, um, how we're going to re-enter. Um, but I have some, several of my colleagues have presented on panels and um, others have reported that, that the engagement has been very high and the quality of the content of the material has been as excellent as always. So being on the front lines, we'll stick with that, being on the front lines, you know, of management in pandemic, um, how, how has that been um, and, and how has um, JAMS adapted? I, I wanted to echo again, the spring meeting theme was innovation, inspiration and improvisation, something that's hyper relevant during COVID-19. Um, and so really curious to see how at the front lines um, you're redefining JAMS in the virtual world and beyond. Oh my goodness, this has been a time of rapid change for everyone. And like most businesses, um, we're evolving rapidly to navigate the challenges so we can continue to deliver the service our clients have come to expect. Um, I'll just kind of back up as the coronavirus epidemic was spreading in late January, February, and early March, and in the absence of any kind of nationwide order, we've been following local and state directives and guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control with respect to quarantining people or temporary closing our centers. And we were taking precautionary measures to ensure rigorous cleaning. And we were communicating to our associates, our neutrals, our clients, our desire that they don't come into the facilities if they were feeling ill or if they had been traveling abroad. Um, 
However, as the number of confirmed cases of the virus began growing exponentially across the country, we made the decision to move our entire workforce to remote status effective March 17th. And by the 20th, that following Monday, we determined that the responsible course of action was just to close our doors for hearings until the CDC and local health authorities suggested it would be safe to reopen. So since the middle of March and on a very rapid basis, um, we have been resolving disputes utilizing video conferencing and other remote technology. And, you know, I couldn't have predicted this at the time we were, you know, sending, you know, buying and formatting and sending out laptops to our associates around the country who otherwise were working off of desktops in our local offices and beginning to um, ramp up our training for remote uh, tools like Zoom and WebEx and other processes and uh, implementing more um, processes to enable remote signature of documents and, and increasing our licenses for those services and then making sure that all of our people were trained. We were sort of doing that early on. Um, but, you know, once we went remote, the transition was, you know, really pretty smooth. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from our clients. Um, we'd, we'd long offered online dispute resolution, and it had been used in lots and lots, thousands actually, of matters over the prior number of years. Um, but there was, there had been more resistance to using it for um, like a longer, more complex business commercial dispute, which is a big part of what we do. Um, but, you know, every week we get more and more people who are interested in using it and um, open to uh, using it for both mediations and arbitrations and are providing really excellent feedback about not only the success rate for settling cases, um, but also how easy it is to use and um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that's here to stay in some form or another. Um, part of, I think, the success of it was that um, when, when we realized we were going to need to provide this remote platform, and remember, none of us at the you know, middle of March knew how long these uh, shelter-in-place or stay-at-home or pause orders were going to be in effect. I don't think any of us had anticipated that we'd be here two months later. Um, yes. But we began providing ongoing training to our neutrals and associates on the various online platforms. And then we also um, recognized a need and uh, really stepped up and trained a lot of our people to serve as moderators for those sessions to ensure uh, just a really seamless experience for everyone involved, including some of our neutrals who were a little uncertain about um, how that platform could work and have since become converts. Um, and I'll just say now that um, we're sort of at a stage now where states and counties around the country are beginning to relax those stay-at-home uh, guidelines or orders. We're preparing for a phased reopening of our resolution center in the coming weeks um, across the country. Right now, our target opening date is June 1st, although we're beginning to hear matters in some centers now where some of the city or local areas have um, had low incidence of outbreaks and are um, have allowed businesses to open and we've got uh, parties and neutrals who are anxious to be together in the offices, um, although we're doing that, of course, with um, you know, all safety in mind. Other offices are going to be reopening at later dates, not necessarily June 1st, just depending on what the situation is in their locale. And then, of course, as with everyone these days, replacing the highest priority on preserving safety for associates, clients, and panelists while trying to provide a venue for dispute resolution to continue in, in person if they choose to do so. 
And in those cases, we're implementing specific safety protocols and procedures, and we'll also simultaneously continue to offer virtual ADR as a complement to the in-person hearing. And we anticipate that there's gonna be um, a, a fair amount of hybrid where you'll have some people in person and some remote. It might make sense to have a few people in a center. Others might join remotely, perhaps if they have more heightened health concerns or would need to get on a plane to travel. Um, and so I think this has all been a very you know, rapidly evolving situation and we're just trying to um, be agile and adjust to the needs of the parties. And thankfully for all of us, we have these you know, wonderful technology tools that allow us to do that. Um, and so at this point, we're monitoring every jurisdiction really carefully to determine when we might be able to reopen. And we're preparing um, specific return to, to the workplace plans that anticipate this gradual or staggered approach so that we maintain social distancing and we're providing all the necessary protective uh, equipment like um, masks and gloves and uh, we're putting up um, plexiglass partitions at reception desks just much of the same thing that lots of businesses around um, the world are doing now and of course uh, working closely with the, our building managers um, and providing you know heightened cleaning both before we come back to the centers and you know making sure that the buildings themselves have, have done everything that they need for us to feel comfortable for our people to go in the offices um, so at this point you know we're, we're targeting June 1 but that's you know we're, we're, we've been um, communicating to our people that we're not in any rush to do it we just want to be prepared and we'll do it as as and when we feel that it's it's safe to do so right no, it's definitely that... been an interesting time and a lot of challenges that I think uh, none of us really um, prepared for or didn't really take any classes ahead of time about how to deal with a pandemic, but we're certainly learning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, learning under fire. You know, I wanted to highlight two points that you made that often are coming up in dialogue. This idea of in pandemic versus post pandemic. Will we continue to use all of the skills that we've gained um, while sheltering in place? And, and I think absolutely right. The dialogue on hybrid um, hearings to allow for versatility, particularly in international matters, but also in domestic matters. Um, and, and as a second point, um, you know, I think the hypersensitivity about everyone's safety is top of mind for most. I, I find myself in a sim similar position, albeit only for one office in New York, uh, but notwithstanding this idea of, is it really safe to go into the office? And to underscore your point of, we're not in any rush um, and safety before security is certainly the momentum um, that we're using um, to make sure because many have adapted and, and are proving to work very well um, in their shelter in places um, and it's good to hear that JAMS was able to equip the staff uh, to be able to do that um, and to allow folks to really um, thoughtfully work from home um, and use that manpower effectively. I'm curious now to turn the conversation a little bit and to hear about um, developments at JAMS in the past five years. And, and two points I wanted to just touch upon that I would love to hear more about in addition to the overall um, is I know that um, JAMS has domestic and international clause workbooks, um, if you could explain that to our group. Um, as well, um, I was reading an article, Kim, that you drafted um, about Francis McDormand and a mic drop moment at the Oscars highlighting the need for an inclusion rider and the novelty of that rider coming out of jams. But overview first, if you could tell us what's happening and then I'd be curious to hear about these points in addition to any others. Oh, sure, my pleasure. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's been a very um, uh, a time of a lot of change and development over the last, uh, say, um, two months. But um, prior to that, there had been a lot of great things going on with jams. And um, one of those actually began more than five years ago when we launched our international um, enterprise, and that was back in 2011. Um, I'll, I'll stop for a moment and talk about our clause workbook and then maybe tell a little bit about kind of what, what's new for us um, on um, the international front and then um, kind of what led to that, um, some of the changes that we've made on the diversity front as well. But um, we, we created uh, these clause workbooks um, to enable council as they're uh, drafting arbitration agreements to really think thoughtfully about um, how a future arbitration might look and to be um, mindful of um, decisions that they make at the drafting stage, particularly when you know, parties are entering into a business deal and everybody's friendly and happy and looking forward to making money together, um, but, but anticipating that if a dispute does arise, you thought very carefully about what an arbitration would look like and that you design a clause that's gonna be easy to administer and easy to enforce. Um, and so we have slightly different workbooks for cross-border disputes and for domestic disputes. Um, and uh, the different um, sort of um, issues that might arise in each. Um, but, th but they deal with things like making sure you understand what law of the jurisdiction will control, the venue of the arbitration, the qualifications of the arbitrators, um, whether there are particular rules that you are going to follow, um, and, and you know, various factors such as that. Um, we hadn't um, up until um, uh, a, a couple of years ago focused um, any part of that, those clauses on diversity and inclusion. Um, but I'll just step back and say we've long been focused on ensuring that our panel reflects gender, minority, and other diversity because we recognize that diverse neutrals like diverse teams in the workplace bring new perspectives to decision making and instill greater confidence in the outcome among users of the service. And um, like other ADR providers, we were an early supporter of the Equal Representation and Arbitration Pledge which seeks to increase the number of women appointed as arbitrators. And we've been deliberate about trying to ensure that we, as we add new neutrals to our panel, we remain focused on promoting diversity. But one of the challenges is that many of the ADR professionals that transition into this work do so after they've reached partner status in their law firms or they have served on a state or federal court. So that pool of ADR neutrals is coming from that group which also tends to reflect a lack of diversity among women and minority equity partners in law firms or um, the makeup of the judiciary around the country and then thankfully that's changing for the better but that has that has had an impact on um, sort of the the number of neutrals that come into the profession there's also elements we don't have control over um, many decisions that happen outside of jams by the users of ADR services. And so we thought it might be helpful to provide language in our clause drafting workbook that parties can use um, and include in their arbitration clauses just to get both sides to consider diversity when they're choosing an arbitrator or a panel of arbitrators. And as you said, we were inspired by that speech that Frances McDormand gave um, when she accepted her Oscar in 2018 and encouraged the widespread use of an inclusion rider and contracts within the entertainment industry. And so it was that sort of thing that inspired us to think, well, maybe this would be a way to at least get people to think about it. Um, and 
it, it just encourages them to consider gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and also to request administering arbitrations um, or institutions to include a fair representation of diverse candidates on their roster of potential arbitrator appointees. And then I'll just add another plug that last fall, we announced the hiring of our first full-time diversity program manager. And I think this is relatively new in the ADR industry. Um, Joanne St. Louis um, joined us last fall and um, she's just been great in helping us to um, kind of consider across our organization how we might further our goals to increase diversity among our panel of neutrals um, and work working with law firms, in-house counsel, and bar associations to you know, raise the dialogue and, and get this at the forefront of people's minds because we can try to do our best to provide you know, diverse neutrals for parties to select from, but at the end of the day, you know, the neutrals are by the parties. And so we have to do everything we can to encourage and facilitate their um, option to, to select from a more diverse um, pool of, of ADR professionals. Thanks so much, Kim. Um, that was fairly comprehensive about all the different things. And I wanted to tell our listeners, please feel free to um, look up the JAMS website. There is a wealth of information on that website that Kim has highlighted today that you can find there in addition, uh, their um, inclusion rider. Um, and as a separate note, if you're looking to find out more about diversity, Kim mentioned the Equal Representation ERA pledge. There's also an abundance of resources on that site as well. And many institutions, including JAMS, are supporters of it with the hope that together we can carve out um, a space for diversity where it becomes commonplace and not um, something we have to keep reminding ourselves to keep top of mind. Um, Kim, with that, you know, I wanted to just give you an option to offer any other comments uh, to our listeners. Um, and so the floor is yours. Well, I guess just that you had asked about you know some of the things that have um, happened or some interesting developments at JAMS over the last five years. And um, one of the, I guess, exciting things for us is that um, last year uh, we opened two international arbitration centers in the Los Angeles region and another in New York. Um, and you know all of our centers have you know similar features and you know good technology and our JAMS cafes and our business centers, all of which are gonna look a little different um, as we go back to those centers, because um, we're gonna have to maintain social distancing, but we still have a lot of amenities. For those international arbitration centers, we added you know, additional high quality technology, including you know, big LCD monitors and um, extra video conferencing equipment so that people can participate remotely, um, translation booths, um, larger hearing rooms, different types of tables so that things can be moved around uh, and set up in different ways as, as parties to large arbitrations might have different um, uh, needs. And then um, dedicated phone lines so that we can intake cases from different time zones. Um, we've got court reporting and translation services, vendors available, and then special arbitration lo arbitrator lounges. Um, when we recognize that we may have arbitrators from around the world. Um, and we're gonna plan to open additional centers in the coming year or so, so that was very exciting. Um, you know, we're, we're very proud of the efforts that we've made on the diversity front. Um, hopefully, as you said, we'll, we'll actually make some progress and we won't, um, this won't have to be such a, um, something that we have to look at as a separate initiative, but it's just part and parcel of how we do business. Um, another area that has been sort of, I guess, timely in terms of what, listeners might be paying attention to in the news and that's that we launched our jam solutions for higher education 
Um, and as many listeners are aware, instances of sexual assault and harassment on college and university campuses across the U.S. have increased or been more highlighted. And a lot of those institutions have been subject to unwelcome headlines and lawsuits and Title IX regulations regarding the handling of these disputes continue to evolve across administrations. Um, and so we saw a need for incorporating solutions for both formal and informal resolutions or some hybrid approach. And we've been working with a number of educational institu institutions across the country to provide the right approach that addresses the concerns and interests of both the, the parties, the students, and the institutions. Um, and that's been going well. Um, another area that we are closely tracking um, is emerging developments affecting the legal industry um, and technological advances. I mean, we've, we've kind of propelled uh, you know, the use of technology forward in the last eight weeks just with the prolific use of Zoom and, and you know, other uh, platforms for virtual meetings and ADR. Um, but another area that is of interest is smart contracts, which utilize blockchain, which is not a concept that everybody um, is familiar with. You know, there was, a, a there was a host of programs that uh, talked about smart contracts and blockchain, I think, two years ago, and then it sort of fell off. And so it's interesting it, that you use those terms again. Yeah, it did fall off. And it, it is interesting because I think that it, um, you know, I think people are a little bit uncertain about how that's going to work, actually. I think that when it first was discussed and, the, and some of the people that were promoting it had this vision that this was going to be this utopian um, solution to completely eliminate um, middlemen, if you will, banks and and lawyers and um, you know the other intermediaries that are necessary for a business transaction to go from you know concept to execution to dispute resolution, you know through all those different um, um, parts of a transaction, and and so I think that there was a lot of interest at first, and then kind of. I think people have slowed, slowed down to just to see how that's going to develop. We saw that as an opportunity to really look at what happens if a dispute arises within that blockchain. And uh, you, you can't resolve it based on a piece of code, right? You can't automatically program into that blockchain. If this dispute arises, then this result will happen. Because you, for many of these complicated transactions, you need, in most cases, a human decision maker who can obtain evidence and apply evidence with law to reach a determination. And so what we're conceiving is an opportunity to, to sort of take it from what I'll call the virtual world of, of, of the transaction out into the real world of dispute resolution. And so we've created, we consulted with a lot of experts um, and develop some protocols and actually a draft set of rules that we've um, been um, spending time kind of deliberately and carefully having um, different experts and people who um, are potentially thinking about using this to think about what that might look like. And so we've had those rules kind of out um, being vetted by different industry groups and experts and potential users and we're planning to post those on our website shortly. Okay, great. And then there's other developments. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, and we'll see. There was, a, like you said, there was a lot of um, uh, sort of energy around this a couple of years ago. I was very excited about it because it was just so interesting, and uh, but I did see it as an opportunity, or Jam thought it as an opportunity to, um, you know, figure out, you know, be proactive about the fact that, you know, there are going to be disputes that arise, and there has to be a good mechanism that that effectuates the intent of the smart contract, which is to 
create efficiencies and to um, allow for rapid resolution, but do it within a way that is going to be enforceable and actually effective for the parties to get them to, to, to be able to go back to business. I was just going to say another item to check out on the JAMS website. And so for those tuning in, do give it a Google um, and, and find out a lot more there. Um, many of the things that Kim has talked about is available. I also will offer to the degree you have tuned in and made it this far, um, feel free to reach out to Kim with specifics um, and she could share that with her team so they could address any questions, curiosities or concerns you may have. Um, I'll note that um, as Kim mentioned, offices were opening. Um, it was a delight to be at the New York opening of the international space and um, to meet a lot of the officers at JAMS. I think that human element is something we are all looking forward to um, engaging in once it's safe <laughs> and we can guarantee Absolutely. Um, and so um, for those tuning in, um, we look forward to being able to engage with you, both Kim and I. But with that, I would like to Give my hearty thanks um, to Kim uh, for joining me today and also to JAMS for being a supporter of the section in general and specifically of the spring virtual conference. Um, and so we will be talking to you again soon in another podcast, but stay tuned. And until then, have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you.